Good morning, church family. I'm going to, to start this brand new sermon series off, we're going to be looking forward uh, into what God has in store for us in 2018, but uh, 2018 started off in a pretty difficult fashion uh, for a lot of us, and I don't want you to pretend like you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, some people in 2018 have already rejoiced. Uh, some people in two, 2018 have already felt sorrow. Some have laughed. Others have cried. And the ripple effects from what happened uh, yesterday just went forth throughout the United States of America when Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs lost their sixth straight postseason playoff game in the NFL. So you guys be praying for Kansas City Chiefs fans. Thankfully, I've converted to becoming a, a New Orleans Saints fan since we moved down to Louisiana. Can I get an amen from the Houdat Nation? So my team's still in, but my brother sent me a text, and you've seen those um, posters probably on walls at some point. It had this picture of a track athlete going like this, and the caption said, failure, when your best just isn't good enough, go Chiefs. Um, so you guys be praying for Kansas City fans, especially be praying for my brother and my family uh, in Kansas. We've got some great stuff coming up at WFR Church in the next couple of weeks and months. I want you to just mark on your calendar the daddy-daughter black and white ball. That starts Saturday, January 20th at 6 o'clock p.m. Dad's awesome opportunity to take your princesses out uh, to a nice dinner and banquet. The weekend after Thanksgiving, our church will be uh, doing a marriage retreat at Lake DeGray. I'm actually going to be in a meeting about that after church today. And it's an awesome event. Did I say after uh, Thanksgiving? Yeah. So I have food on my mind still, some of you can tell. Uh, that would be after Valentine's Day, which is a very important day for me and my family. Just not as important as Thanksgiving. So you guys mark those down. Bring me a meal at some point if you don't have anything else to do during the week. Let me review 2017 for you as we're getting started here in 2018. Uh, USA Today on December 13th published the most searched for news stories, news people, and how-tos in 2017. So the most searched for people in 2017 were as follows. Matt Lauer, Meghan Markle, and I didn't know who that was initially, but after a little bit of Wikipedia research, that's Prince Harry's fiance. They wed May of 2018. Y'all get current, okay? Uh, third most searched for person in 2017 was Harvey Weinstein. And uh, the fourth most searched person in 2017 was Michael Flynn, the National Security Advisor who pled guilty for lying to the FBI. Uh, the most searched for how-tos in 2017 were as follows. How to make slime, uh, which we actually do, would probably search for in my house. Uh, how to make solar eclipse glasses. How to watch the solar eclipse. How to watch the Mayweather-McGregor fight, which did not live up to the hype, for those of you who didn't see it. And how to buy Bitcoin. But I, I did want to share with you the most searched for uh, news stories. The most searched for news story in 2017 was Hurricane Irma. Our East Coast was hit very heavily by a natural disaster. And some of our friends and family were influenced by that. 
the, the second most searched for news story in 2017 was the Las Vegas shooting. An unspeakable tragedy that happens at a concert uh, in Las Vegas last year. We also searched for the solar eclipse. We searched for Hurricane Harvey that hit Houston area. Bitcoin, and I did include one other one that was searched for very commonly. This was eighth on the list. I reduced this down to four or five. Uh, but I felt like this particular item really encapsulated what, to me, felt like 2017. Uh, raise your hand if you've ever heard of a fidget spinner. A fidget spinner. So a lot of you guys have heard of this. That was the eighth most searched for item in 2017. And as I was thinking about these lists and praying over this sermon today, I thought 2017 was kind of a fidgety year. There was political unrest. I mean, there's, there's what feels like political tension in our nation today. Uh, there, there is an immense amount of sexual pain in the United States of America. Those names like Matt Lauer, Harvey Weinstein, um, uh, Kevin Spacey is a name that, that regularly appeared on some of those lists. We, we live in a culture that is finally, in my estimation, starting to experience the consequences of the sexual misbehavior we've been participating in on a national scale with the hashtag MeToo movement being the primary kind of thrusting evidence of that particular situation. Uh, 2017, there, there were a lot of natural disasters um, and, and deaths like the Las Vegas uh, shooting massacre on, on a large scale that shook our nation to its core and, and I believe promoted some sense of unrest for us nationally. And I was so grateful to see 2018 arrive because I really feel good at the beginning of the year uh, with an opportunity to kind of start brand new. And, and uh, Rick mentioned that as, as he was singing up here today, that every day in Christ we get brand new. But it, it really is refreshing to start in a new year. And, and I have a lot of hope for what God's going to do in our church and in this area in 2018. This morning, I'm going to be speaking to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. I'm going to reference uh, probably half a dozen scriptures this morning. And so we're going to be doing a little bit of, of Bible drill. Some of you remember that from your Bible school days, uh, where I mention a, a verse, a chapter, and book, and, and you see who can flip there the fastest. So I'm going to have all verses on screen. If you've got a pen handy, I hope that you'll write these down. This morning I'm talking to you about new life. And if 2017 for you personally was the, was the same experience, I believe, that it was for the United States nationally, and there's some unrest in your heart, or a desire and a longing for more, for peace, for stability, for, for satisfaction... Um, then I want today to be a reminder to you that in Jesus Christ, you can be made brand new. You can be made brand new. And this is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture that talks about the new life we can have, the fresh start we can have in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul here is writing to a church that has just gone wild. Uh, they're partying in the church during communion. People are getting drunk. There's lots of sexual sin and, and immorality uh, going on in the church. And he's reminding these guys of this very idea. 
that you can be made brand new in Christ. He says this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. If you have your Bible, I, I, I recommend underlining the last part of that verse. The old has gone and the new is here. In the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are made brand new, the first thing you're going to notice is that the old pain, the old guilt, and the old shame is gone. Our sin gets transferred onto our perfect Savior, Jesus Christ, in God's eyes, and He removes that guilt and that shame and that struggle with sin from our life, and that feels so refreshing as we fully surrender to our God through Jesus Christ, His Son. And, and, and for a few years in my Christian walk personally, it, it just felt good to feel good. Can I get a witness, somebody? Uh, I, I, I really was lost and in deep, deep darkness before I surrendered to Jesus Christ. And I, I literally felt the burden of that sin and my guilt and shame Lift And it felt really, really good not to be carrying that around. But then I reached this point where I started taking feeling good for granted. And we're all going to do that in our Christian walk. And I don't really feel like it can be prevented. Because ultimately, whatever situation you're living in becomes your normal. And I had to learn to look forward to the new to what God was constantly doing in me, how He was developing me, how I was experiencing Him fresh day in and day out. So, so initially in our Christian walk, the old passes, and that's the first thing we notice. But then the new coming is what, is what we start to look forward to. So the natural question in my mind after I read this is, how, how is a person made into a new creation in Christ Jesus. Um, our, our, we are made as a new creation, uh, ironically, in Christ Jesus through death. And this is one of the great paradoxes of the Christian faith, and there are a lot of them. To finish first, you've got to be last. To finish first, you've got to be last. Whoever wants to be greatest needs to be least. You know those references. If you want to save your life, Jesus would say... You've got to lose it. Uh, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. He really gives us that point at which our new life occurs through the, through the identification we have in the death of Jesus. This is on screen for you. This is Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. The Bible says this. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the death through the glory of God the Father, we too may live a new life. And one of those verses I quoted to you as I was sharing with you some of those paradoxes from the Christian faith uh, is really powerful uh, in my life. That's Luke 9.24. Whoever wants to save their life has got to lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Why this registers for me so powerfully, I, I worked for about four years at a drug and alcohol treatment center in Searcy, Arkansas called Capstone. And they have this really awesome ceremony that they do when guys graduate their 90-day inpatient treatment program. 
And these guys get to sign the wall of the treatment center and they get to write a little sentence that kind of describes uh, their journey in those 90 days of inpatient treatment. And, and one of these guys that, that uh, really just seemed to get it in there said in quotes, he signs his name and then in quotations he said, to save your life, you've got to lose it. And I thought two things. First, I thought, man, that really is the key that unlocks what God is trying to bestow upon us, his creation. I think we can fight so hard to gain material possessions and have emotional maturity and become psychologically well. And, and we're doing all of that in our own strength when God is in the heavens saying, if you'll just surrender to me, if you'll just give me every area of your life, I'll do all the things you're trying to do for yourself, and it'll come much easier for you. And I really hope in 2018 you can remember that the thing you're, you're trying to accomplish the peace you're looking for, the stability and satisfaction you seek, really is going to be found through surrendering to Jesus Christ, literally to losing your life for Him. Because if you do that, you'll find the life you've really been looking for. And the second thing I thought is, man, how, how cool would it be to have a ceremony like that that people could go through, where you got... Uh, 25 to 35 guys surrounding you and watching you sign a wall and write a sentence of, of, uh, that describes your life, of your effort, of your vision, of your plan, of your experience. And, and I thought to myself, that's what our baptism is. Our baptism is both the moment we access that new life in Jesus Christ and when we declare our mission and vision for the new life we're going to live. That's that ceremony. It's that graduation moment. It's the moment where I declare, I'm putting that old me to death. Those old things I used to pursue, those old interests I used to enjoy, the hobbies I used to focus on, all those things now I'm surrendering. And I'm going to approach this life brand new. I'm going to put that old me to death just like Jesus Christ did. And I'm going to rise up out of that water made brand new, clothed in him, ready to walk the life he's going to guide me to live not the life I'm going to guide me to live. And this is a new life that's lived in righteousness. Our new life is, is both righteous and holy, according to Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. The Bible says this, In your new life you put on literally a new self. And sometimes I'll work with uh, families um, who have one or, or two or multiple members who have been adopted. And, and we'll talk through that. And one question that some adopted kids have is, you know, I wonder what my, where my genetics come from. I was talking with somebody a couple of weeks ago, and they, and they had that particular question. And I've thought about that in terms of our spiritual re- rebirth in Jesus Christ. What, what, are, what, are the, what, what are the things we spiritually inherit from Christ at the moment he regenerates us in baptism? What what are those things? Paul gives us two here in Ephesians chapter 4. The first, he says, is righteousness. And the second, he says, is holiness. I'm going to give you a definition of each because I think these are easy to confuse. Righteousness is the quality of being justified. Justified means having a right standing with God. Church, this has nothing to do with your morality your goodness, 
or even your own behavior and has everything to do, listen to this, with Christ's morality, His goodness, and His perfect behavior. Righteousness is more of a state or position. And righteousness points to where you are. Righteousness is absolutely, I want you to remember this, a prerequisite for holiness. Meaning, before you can be holy, you have to be made righteous. Importantly, people in the scriptures are never, ever asked to be righteous. But over and over and over and over again, they're demanded to be holy. So what does holiness mean? I I would distinguish it from righteousness by saying that holiness means to be clean, to be good, to be pure, to be godly, or even sanctified. A word I think we would use in our common language to describe this would be someone who is moral. In the strictest sense, I think holiness describes an attitude and corresponding behavior that is both right and good and true. Whereas righteousness is a state of position and points to where you are, holiness is more a state of character, making clear how you are. You can be holy, according to Trent's definition, behave morally, and still not be righteous. Did you get that? And here's what's scary to me. There are some men and women who have not been baptized into Christ Jesus that are roaming around the United States of America that are behaving in a more holy fashion than some men and women who have been baptized into Christ Jesus. And I want to put the the pressure on us as a church, first, to surrender more to God, but secondly, to up our game and level of effort in terms of holy living. Your holiness does not make you righteous, but it does help identify you more with the lifestyle of Jesus Christ. And when you really understand the righteousness that he has given you, you'll be more motivated to live a holy life. This should ultimately point us in a new direction in our lives. When the righteousness of Christ has been imputed unto us or given to us or transferred to us, And we have been compelled through the Spirit's power and influenced by the Spirit's power to live a holy life, pleasing to God. We should be heading down a different track. The Bible talks about these two tracks in contrast. One being uh, the track led by the flesh. The Greek word there is sarks. And that's our own sinful desires and our lusts. And the other road is the road of the Spirit. The new life that we have that leads to a new way is summarized by the Apostle Paul again in Romans chapter 7 and verse 6. I know I'm skipping around a lot, but I really want to give you guys this content. The Bible says, but now by denying, by dying to once, to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not the old way in the written code. Let me give you some background here. Paul, at this point in Romans, is speaking to a mostly Jewish audience. And these Jews 
have been burdened and literally held back by the law. It was this cultural thing that everybody felt that they needed to do, that everybody put pressure on everybody else to do well, and those who did that the best were looked highest upon, and those who did that the least were disrespected. And to transfer this into a current modern-day illustration, I would just ask you the question, what is the burden that has been holding you back? What's the burden that's been holding you back? What bound people in Paul's day was the law. It felt like this heavy burden around the necks of all who were bound by it. What has made you feel like there's been a heavy burden around your neck? This new life you have in Jesus Christ is designed to free you from that burden the same way the new life that the Jews experienced in Christ was designed to free them from the burden and heaviness of the law. One truth about your new life is that that your new life looks the way you have made it look. Is your life a new life? Is your new life in Christ a life filled with the Spirit? Filled with love, filled with joy, filled with peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Is that the life that you're living led by the Spirit in Jesus Christ? Or is your life filled with more earthly types of things, sexual immorality, greed, drunkenness, envy, covetousness, and idolatry. The person who's ultimately responsible, responsible for deciding what your life looks like is you. So your new life looks like the way you've made it look. And secondly, the pathway you're currently on is the one that you have chosen. Are you still hanging on to that burden that has bound you and held you back? Or have you finally surrendered it and decided to take up the mantle of the Spirit, which is a light and easy burden? Truly, our new life is one in which we've been given a new attitude. I don't know about you, but any time I've taken a wrong turn in life, it influences my attitude. And surprisingly, I have done that once. So some of you know the story. We were headed to the beach with my family and my family from the Midwest. And this is my hood now. You know, so I'm like, you guys follow me and I'll get us there quickest route. Uh, Which are very last, very famous last words of most people who end up getting everybody lost. We literally end up in a dead end in a neighborhood in the middle of nowhere somehow on our way to the beach. And I promise you, my attitude in my vehicle before and after getting lost was totally different, right? When you're not on the right path, it influences your attitude in a bad way. Maybe one reason you found it difficult to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus or the mindset of Christ Jesus is because you've not, you're not fully surrendered to him really walking a life led by the Spirit. A couple of things I want to mention here. The first is, uh, in Ephesians 4.23, Paul says, You should be made new in the attitude of your minds. I believe our attitude determines our altitude. There's a 57-year-old Google executive named Alan Eustace who jumped from a hot air balloon at an altitude of 135,000 feet. It's the highest Uh, skydive in recorded history. 
His trip back to earth involved a 15-minute, 25-mile free fall. This is the highest parachute jump we've ever read about or recorded, Alan said. I'm so excited to have had the opportunity. It took three years of planning and lots of time and financial resources to pull this off. The most important thing, I think, to make this successful were both my attitude and my desire. Had Alan not had the right attitude, he wouldn't have reached his goal, altitude. I really believe in Jesus Christ, when we make up our minds and have an attitude that is determined to follow Him, we achieve a higher altitude with Him, a better relationship with Him. Our attitude also influences our aptitude. Your aptitude are the things that you're good at, your giftedness, your talents, and your abilities. Every year, my son and I drive to uh, Iowa to attend a father-son wrestling camp it's one of my favorite times of the year and i grew up wrestling and and i want my kids to wrestle and the most important thing to me is not whether or not they're good i just want them to love wrestling i love being around the sport arguably one of the best college coaches today is a guy named kale sanderson he's the current coach of penn state university and this this friend of mine that puts on this camp in iowa Uh, told me that he and Kale were talking as Kale was uh, watching a possible recruit wrestle. And he said Kale was watching this four-time state champion just stud, go through this tournament and just trounce people. But as the tournament went on, this awesome coach kept watching a different guy, not the stud four-year state champion recruit. He was watching like this third-place kid. And and my friend, this coach who puts on the father-son Uh, camp asked coach Sanderson man why are you not watching this four-year state champion stud why are you over here watching this kid who's like finished no better in third and and Kale said I don't want the kids who are the best wrestlers on my team I want to recruit the kids who love wrestling the most And this guy who puts on the father-son camp said that really changed my philosophy of wrestling. I had always taught people your aptitude comes from uh, being the best wrestler you can be. But now what I'm teaching people is just to love wrestling and knowing that the more they love the sport they participate in, the better they're eventually going to be at that particular sport. That's exactly how it works with our life in Jesus Christ. And that's, that's the difference between grace and legalism, if I could take it that far. Legalism is about being the best Christian I can possibly be. It's about reading all the right books and doing all the important Bible studies and saying prayers just the way the people standing in front of the church pray and attending church service all the time the doors are open. And let me tell you, I hope all of y'all want to do that. But that's not what makes you the best Christian Just like being the best technical wrestler isn't really what makes you the best wrestler. It's your love and passion for Jesus Christ that will make you the best Christian you can possibly be. And that's the message of the gospel. Jesus Christ knows all of your imperfections and all of your failures. 
And he still decided to demonstrate his love for you by taking your sin and shame upon himself and dying on a cross so that you can experience forgiveness. You mind if I preach the gospel a little bit to you this morning? And because of that message, Jesus wants you to fall in love with him. And the more deeply you love him, the better your attitude will be. And when your attitude is right, your relationship with him will be as good as it can be. That's your altitude. And your effectiveness in his kingdom will be at optimal levels. That's your aptitude. Not only do we get a new attitude, uh, but we get a brand new, fresh hope. And, and 2017, I, man, with, with Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Irma, um, the, the sexual pain finally disclosed on a national scale, uh, the shooting in Las Vegas and the political unrest. There were a lot of people, church, in 2017 who lost hope. And, and I'm speaking nationally. Some of these stories I know personally. Some of you have lost loved ones in 2017. And these weren't just extended family kinds of losses. These were losses that hit home. Some of you have been afflicted with serious medical illnesses and that has just really threatened the level of hope that you feel i want to remind you this morning that the new life we live in christ jesus is a life centered on hope i want to switch to peter in first peter chapter one and verse three the bible says this praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I'm going to tell you a story uh, that I told a couple of, probably over a year ago on a Wednesday evening. Uh, And I wanted to remind you before the story, because it's the second time some of you will have heard it, that repetition is your friend in church. And how many knows that sometimes ministers recycle some of their best illustrations? Can I get an amen from somebody? All right. Nobody in this audience learned their multiplication tables just seeing them one time. All right. So we got to give you some of these illustrations over and over and over again so they finally stick. I was prepping for this and listening to some, uh, some of my favorite music. And one of my favorite songs came on as I was reviewing this particular point. Uh, Kirsten and I love old hymns, and um, uh, we sing to our kids before bed. And it, this has probably been about two years ago, and I hopped in bed with our oldest, Adrian, and I start singing to him one of my favorite old hymns. And I, completely unbeknownst to me, he starts singing right along with me, word for word, perfect pitch, uh, this same hymn that I'm saying, was, it, it, seriously, and, and the Holy Spirit's presence just powerfully came into that room. And, and I got, almost have tears streaming down my face. And I go get my wife, Kirsten, and I'm like, Kirsten, you've got to come in here. And I'm like, bud, can we sing that again? And so um, the song is, We'll Never Grow Old. So the first verse is, I have heard of a land. From a far away strand, tis a beautiful home of the soul, built by Jesus on high, where we never shall die. 
Tis a land where we'll never grow old. And he starts singing that song with me. And I just thought, man, Lord, if, if he could get this at this age, if he could start to live as though he wasn't made for this world, but created for another, a land where he'll never grow old, where some of those things that afflicted us as a nation and you personally in 2017 would not be found. And I am reminded, and I want to give you another repetition of Revelation 21, 4, and 5. What is this land going to look like, this land that Jesus is making brand new? Revelation 21, 4, and 5 says this, that Jesus himself, and can I just say I love that we have a personal God? There's going to be a moment where all of Trent's pain, all of Trent's frustration, all of Trent's anger is going to be personally healed. Personally. By Jesus Christ. That's what the scripture teaches in Revelation 21.4. Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death. There won't be any more crying or pain because the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, write these words down for these words are trustworthy and true. In the end, church family, everything gets made brand new. Everything. And that's the reason why we hope. We hope for that land where we'll never grow old. Last thing I want to say in 2018 is that this new life is a life worth talking about. There are a lot of things in life that just aren't worth talking about. The Chiefs losing their sixth straight playoff game at home? That's not worth talking about. Some of the pain and agony and misery that you lived through in 2017, that's just not worth talking about. But you know what is? The new life you have access to in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 20, God tells His people in general. I want you to think that this verse was written just to you. You want to know what you should do in 2018? Find you someplace right in the middle of everything that is going on in your life. Not in the city of Monroe. People just think you're weird. Alright? Right in the center of your life. Go figure out where that temple of your life is. For, for my family, it would probably be in our living room. You know, we're just in there a lot. We sing in there. We eat in there. The dogs make trouble in there. Uh, that's, that's, that's where my family's heartbeat is. God's telling me, Trent, stand in the place that's the temple of your life and tell people about the new life you have in Jesus Christ. I want you to find that place in your life in 2018. And I want you to make it brand new. Wherever it is, maybe it's at work. If you're a young person, maybe it's at school. If you're really immersed into WFR church membership as a forever family member, I thank God for that. Maybe it's just getting excited brand new about the new life 
God has given you through Jesus Christ the Son. Whatever the temple of your life is in 2018, I want you to shout into that place the victory you've won in Jesus Christ because He can make you brand new. I'm going to close in a prayer. If there is any area of your life that needs to be made brand new, I invite you to come forward. Some of our elders and staff would love to encourage you and pray over you to start this new year off in a brand new way. Let's bow together. Lord, we love you. I thank you so much for the opportunity to share from your word with this great audience. I pray these people just are blessed in 2018. God, I ask if any here need a special touch from you, if they need to be made brand new, immersed into Jesus Christ and baptized, God, I I just ask that they would come forward boldly. Lord, if there are any here who are discouraged uh, for any reason and just need uh, uh, an area of, of their life, a temple of their life to be reclaimed by you, I pray you'd also give them strength to come forward this morning, God. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Please stand with me, church, while together we sing.